Blog Talk Radio. again, we come to you live and traveling around the world. We're coming to you from our radio studio here in St. Augustine, Jacksonville, Ponte Vedra, Florida. Thanks for listening to Eastern Airlines Talk Radio. My name is Neil Holland, the producer of the show, and we have a great show for you tonight. And to all the listeners around the world, we say welcome. Join us as we celebrate the life of Eastern Airlines, as we do Every Monday, this time. Hello, Eastern family and friends. As our producer said, it's great having you with us. My name is Jim Hart, and it's certainly great being back with the radio show after being away trying to take care of some of my health issues. I'm fine. Now, and I'm coming to you live from the beautiful island of Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, where the weather today was 75 degrees and very low humidity. Welcome, and thank you for listening and calling the show. You have truly made us the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. In fact, we can now say that we've become Eastern Airlines international radio show with over 50 countries listening in. We'd love to hear your comments and share your memories with radio listeners from around the world during our broadcast. Won't you give us a call, please? If you haven't called the show before, all you need to do is to call 213-816-1611 and just say hello to talk with us on the air every Monday evening. We can identify many countries around the world who listen in with our blog talk radio application. Isn't it great that we can keep the Eastern legacy going out not only to the Eastern family, but to listeners from many different countries around the world? That's what we try to do every week on the Eastern radio show Won't you join us by adding your voice to these broadcasts? Our thanks also to those who choose to listen by computer using the radio icon on our homepage at www.easternradioshow.com or perhaps by signing in at the site of our provider, Blog Talk Radio, 
at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. Remember to abbreviate the word Captain to CAP, C-A-P-T. Should you wish during our live broadcast, feel free to use our call-in number, 213-816-1611 at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Let me repeat that number so you can write it down for your Monday night visits. It is 213-816-1611. And by the way, tell your friends about us. Our membership is growing, and we are well over 1,000 now. And don't forget, you can listen to any of our 425 Monday nightly broadcasts and the 100-plus Thursday broadcasts by simply going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. And remember, that's Cap, C-A-P-T-E-D-D-I-E. And scrolling down to the archive of broadcasts, each episode is briefly described. We're over 500 episodes now. And the Eastern Files old-time radio series, and as I like to say, holy blue Sunoco, I'm happy to be back with you. Our lines are always open for calls, and if you choose not to participate and talk live with your host, we ask you to please mute your phone as our producer does not have the capability of filtering out any background noises. Wow. I see we're number one for takeoff, so Captain, let's get flight number 425 in the air. Tower Blur is 650, Now 
know the boy's gotten wise. Girls idolize the way he plays his ukulele. Easy to see. Take it from me. Get yourself an ukulele. Washington, D.C. 
to become a staff announcer for NBC-owned station, WRC, the same year and remained there until 1934. Recovering from a near-fatal automobile accident en route to a flying lesson in 1931, he had already an avid flyer. He decided to listen closely to the radio and realized that the staff formal style when used by announcer could not connect with the average radio listener. The announcer spoke in a stanatorium tone as it was given a formal speech to a crowd and not com communicating on a personal level. Godfrey vowed that, that he, when he returned to the airways, he, he would affect a relaxed, informal style as if he was talking to just one person. He also used that style to do his own commercials, become a regional star. Over time, he added wisecracking to his commercial and would kid with the sponsors in a little risky move that often advertising agency executives whose staff worked on the commercial scripts. In addition to annoying, Godfrey sang and played the ukulele. In 1934, he became a freelance entertainer, but eventually based himself on a daily show titled Sundial on CBS-owned station of WJSV, now WFED, in Washington. Godfrey was the station's morning disc jockey, playing records and delivering commercials, and often with a little tongue-in-cheek. A classic example had him referring to Bayer Aspen as the Bay Aspen. Godfrey was eager to remain connected with the Navy, but found his hip injury rendered him unsuitable for military service. He knew Franklin D. Roosevelt, who listened to the Washington program, and through Roosevelt's intercession, he received a commission in the United States Naval Reserve before World War II. Godfrey, yeah, thank you. Godfrey became nationally known in April 1945 when, as CBS's morning radio man in Washington, he took the microphone for a live, first-time account of President Roosevelt's Penal possession. The entire CBS network picked up the broadcast, later preserved in the Edward R. Murrah and Fred F. Friendly record series, quote, I can hear it now. Unlike the tight-lipped news reporters and commentators of the day who delivered news in an earnest business-like manner, Godfrey's tone was sympathetic and neighborly, lending immediacy and intimacy to his words. When describing you, President Harry S. Truman's car in the procession, Godfrey fervently said in a choked voice, God bless him, President Truman. Godfrey broke down in tears and cooed the listeners back to the studio. The entire nation was moved by his emotional outburst. Godfrey made such an impression on the air that CBS gave him his own morning time slot on the national wide network Arthur Godfrey Time was a Monday through Friday show that featured his monologues, interviews with various stars, music from his own in-house combo, and regular vocalists. Godfrey's monologues and discussions were usually unscripted and went wherever he chose. Arthur Godfrey Time remained a late morning stable on the CBS radio network schedule until 1972. But in 1947, Godfrey had a surprise hit record with the novelty 
song, Too Fat Polka, She's Too Fat for Me, written by Ross McLean and Arthur Richardson. Here we go. Here's a silly ditty, you can sing it right away. Now here is what you say, so sing it while you may. Here's a silly jingle, you can sing it night or noon. Here's the words, that's all you need, cause I just sang the tune. Oh, I don't want her, you can have her, she's too fat for me. She's too fat for me, she's too fat for me. I don't want her, you can have her, she's too fat for me. She's too fat, she's too fat, she's too fat for me. I get dizzy, I get numbo when I'm dancing. With my jum jum jumbo, I don't want her. You can have her. She's too fat for me. She's too fat for me. She's too fat for me. I don't want her. You can have her. She's too fat for me. She's too fat. She's too fat. She's too fat for me. Can she prance up a hill? <laughs> no, 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 no. Can she dance a quadrille? No, 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 no. Does she fit in your coop? By herself, she's a group. Could she possibly sit upon your knee? No, no, no. We don't want her, you can have her. She's too fat for me. She's too fat for me. But she's just right for me. We don't want her, you can have her. She's too fat for me. Yeah, she's too fat, much too fat. But she's just right for me. She's so charming, and she's so winning. <laughs> but it's alarming when she goes in swimming. We don't want her, you can have her. She's too fat for me. <laughs> she's too fat for me. But she's just right for me. So I sure want her, you can't have her. She's just right for me. <laughs> But she's too fat. But she's not too fat. She's just right for me. <laughs> she's a twosome. She's a foursome. If she'd lose some, I would like her more some. I don't want her, you can have her. She's too fat for me. She's too fat for me. <laughs> She's too fat for me. I don't want her, you can have her. She's too fat for me. She's too fat, much too fat. She's too fat for me. Hey! <laughs> Mercy. The song Mercy. reached number two in the United States of America charts, and its popularity led to the Andrews sisters recording a version adapted to the women's point of view. In general, though, Godfrey despised most of his novelty recordings, including, of course, Two Fat Polka, which was his biggest selling record. Godfrey's morning show was supplemented by a primetime variety show, Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scouts, broadcasting from the CBS studio building at 49 East 52nd Street, where he had his main office. This variety show, a showcase for rising young performers, was a slight variation of CBS's successful original 
amateur, amateur hour. Performers who appeared on talent scouts included Lenny Bruce, Don Adams, Tony Bennett, Patsy Cline, mm, country gal, Pat Boone, opera singer Marilyn Horn, Roy Clark, and the Irish vocalist Carmen Quinn. Later, he prompted Little Arthur Godfrey, Janette Davis, to a management position at the show's talent coordinator. Three notable acts rejected for the show were Elvis Presley, Sonny Till, and the Oreos, and the four freshmen. Following his appearance on the Louisiana Hayride, Presley traveled to New York for an unsuccessful talent scouts audition in April 1955. After the talent scouts rejected the Orioles, they went on to have a hit record with their version of Crying in the Chapel, a major hit sung by Daryl Glenn, written by Glenn's Florida Artie, and a subsequent hit for Presley as well, and kicked off the Bird Group trend of early rock and roll. Mike? Okay, back in uh, 1948, Arthur Godfrey's talent scouts began to simultaneously broadcast on radio and television. And by 1952, Arthur Godfrey time also appeared on both media. Godfrey's skills as a commercial pitchman brought him a large number of loyal sponsors, including Lipton Tea, Frigidaire, Pillsbury Cake Mixes, and Liggett and Myers Chesterfield Cigarettes. By 1955, the total advertising billings from Godfrey's TV shows were estimated at an industry high of $150 million, almost double those of second place Ed Sullivan. In 1949, Arthur Godfrey and His Friends, a weekly formal variety show, began on CBS TV in prime time. His affable personality combined with warmth, heart, and occasional bits of double and tendry repartee, such as his remark when the show went on location, well, we're here down in Miami, bitch, hey? Godfrey received <laughs> adulation from fans who felt that despite his considerable wealth, he was really one of them. His personal, uh, felt like he was one of his personal friends from next door. His ability to sell products, uh, insisting that he would not promote anything which he did not personally believe in, gave him a level of trust in his audience, a belief that if Godfrey said it, it must be so. When he quit smoking after his 1953 hip surgery, he began speaking out against smoking on the air to the displeasure of a longtime sponsor, Chesterfield. When he stood, in his, stood his ground, the company withdrew their sponsorship. Godfrey shrugged it off and de- uh, with their departure since he knew other sponsors would easily fill the vacancy. Eventually, Godfrey added a weekend best-of program called from the week's Arthur Godfrey time known as the Godfrey Digest. Many of the artists, relatively obscure, were given colossal national exposures, some of them former talent scouts, winners, including the Hawaiian female vocalist Haley Loki, veteran Irish tenor Frank Parker, Marion Harlow, and Julius LaRosa, who was in the Navy when Arthur Godfrey was doing his annual Naval Reserve duty. He discovered the young singer at that time. He subsequently invited him on the show as a guest, offering him a job on his discharge. 
La Rosa joined the cast in 1951 and became a favorite of Godfrey's immense audience, who also saw him on the primetime weekly show, Arthur Godfrey and His Friends. Godfrey also had regular announcer, a regular announcer to foil the, on the, uh, announcer foil on the show by the name of Tony Marvin. Godfrey preferred his performances not to use personal managers or agents, but often he had the staff represent the artist if they were doing personal appearances, which allowed him considerable control over the careers and their incomes. In 1953, after La Rosa hired an agent, Godfrey was so angry that he actually fired him on the on the air. Godfrey learned to fly in 1929 while working in broadcast radio in Washington D.C. Um, Washington D.C. area. He started with gliders, then learning to fly powered airplanes. He was badly injured on his way to a flying lesson one afternoon in 1931 when an oncoming truck lost his left front wheel and hit him head on. Godfrey spent months recuperating and and the injury kept him from flying on active duty during World War II. He served as the reserve officer in the United States Navy in a public affairs role during the war. Godfrey made a television movie in 1953 taking the controls of an Eastern Airlines Lockheed Constellation airliner and flying to Miami, thus showing how safe airline travel had become. There aren't many of them left, but here comes one of those old-timers now. And look who's flying it. It's Captain Eddie, the one and only, Captain Rickenbacker. Hey, wait a minute, I want to get in this scene myself. Oh, How's it feel to be at the controls of this old baby again? Well, frankly, it brings back a lot of memories, Arthur. Some good, some not so good, but maybe we had to do it regardless. You know, many a morning I used to sit around up there 20,000 feet with the sun at my back waiting for the enemy fuckers to come around. 20,000 feet in that open cockpit? Right. Nowadays we got heated and pressurized cabins. Didn't you get cold? Oh, how? It sure was. In fact, we had to come down to thaw out, you know, it gets so cold up there. Yes, Arthur, it's a wonderful little ship, in spite of the fact that it's made up of wood and wires and struts and shlack and tape pulled together with all of these wonderful combination gadgets. In fact, the matter is, the only metal in it the engine and the machine guns. Yes, quite a change. And in 30 years, too. True, and on the other hand, when you take a look at the beautiful super constellation, all metal, one end to the other, aluminum, steel, brass, copper, in fact, every kind of metal known to science is involved in its structure. Just take a look at that super constellation, folks. 114 feet long, with a wingspan of 123 feet, four of the latest compounded engines of 3,250 horsepower each. Do you realize how much power that is? Why, each engine has more power than a locomotive. 
this plane can fly up to around 400 miles an hour. And we are going to take a ride in it. Let's hear what Captain Eddie is saying. Arthur, one of those wheels always almost as much as a staff. By the way, here comes your crew. Oh, hello, Dick. Hi, Dickie boy. Hiya, Captain. How are you? Hello, you. Hello, Captain. Hi, Hi you. Hello, Captain. Arthur, we're due out of here at 2 o'clock. Just one hour from now. I'm ready. Well, as long as you fellas are going to do the flying, I might as well go on. <laughs> Have a good trip. So okay. long, guys. Thank you, so Captain. So long. What a guy. Well, now we're going to take you on a regularly scheduled flight from New York to Miami. Only this time, you're coming up in the cockpit with us. And we're going to show you what goes on behind the scenes. Well, Hugh, how are we fixed? Okay, sir. I'll see you on board. Good. Now, folks, I want you to meet my co-captain for today's trip. This is Captain Dick Merrill. Over 25 years with Eastern Airlines. One of the grandest guys and one of the best pilots who ever lived. I'm sure you know of his exploits as well as I do. To name one, he was the first pilot to fly a commercial flight across the Atlantic and return. What do you say, Captain? I say, Captain, let's check in at crew scheduling and then go look at the weather. I say we'll do it. <laughs> Oh, boy, look at that beautiful high. Yeah, but look at this front back here. See, how fast is that front moving? About 25 miles per hour to the east, Captain. Here's the latest map. Good. Thanks, Henry. Dick, let's fly down to 22,000. Sounds like a good altitude to me, Arthur. I'll go in and make out the flight plan. Okay. In this room, they get weather reports every hour on the hour from weather stations scattered all over the United States and Canada. There you are, sir. Flight 601, proposed 1400. The dispatcher's office is the central intelligence for all aircraft. They know where every plane is every minute. On this big board, the clerk notes the position of each plane en route, as reported by radio, and the time due at the next checkpoint. We fill out our flight plan with a dispatcher, giving our exact route of flight, the altitude, the amount of fuel, and so forth. A copy of this will be filed with the government airways traffic control. Here you are, sir. How does that look to you? The dispatcher gives us official clearance, and we're on our way. Everything okay, you? The ship is ready, sir. 88 pastors, Captain. Gross weight 112,000 pounds. Another full load, eh? Thanks, Al. That's what I like to see. Now, for you folks who've never been up on a flight deck before, this is it. The captain and the pilot have the flying controls at their fingertips at all times. While over here, the engineer is very busy with the engine instruments. These are the throttles. Just like the accelerators on your car. One for each engine. Two, three, four. This is the control column. And with it, you fly the airplane. To the right, to the left, down, up, and here are your rudder pedals down below. The airspeed indicator shows just that, how fast we are going through the air. The altimeter tells us how high we are. 
This vertical speed indicator tells us our rate of climb or descent. The automatic direction finder? Well, that's just what its name would imply. It points to where we want to go when we tune in a radio station with it. This is the flux gate compass. And this one is the old reliable magnetic compass, just like Columbus had when he came over here. This is the omni-range bearing indicator. This is the localizer and glide path indicator, about which we'll talk a little bit more later. This is the artificial horizon. It shows the attitude of our plane with reference to the real horizon. And of course, you know that we have radio contact at all times, ship to ship, ship to ground, two or three transmitters and receivers. Now, this plane has already been very thoroughly checked by the maintenance department. And during the last hour, it was checked by our own flight engineer. But that's not enough. The pilot and the captain have one, two, three lists of checks to make before we start down the runway to take off. Okay, Dick, we'll do the before starting engines check, huh? Right. Oxygen mask. Immediately available. Brake selector. And so on through right. 39 separate Brake items. Down. Now, you passengers wonder why we sit and wait sometimes at the end of the runway. It is because the captain and the co-pilot and the crew are making these additional last-minute checks. Well, I guess we're ready to wind them up, Dick. Now switch over to intercom and uh, talk to that gentleman outside there by the nose and get ready to start the engine. Ground to cockpit. Clear to start. Ready to start. Start three. Turning three. Contact three. Clear to start four. Start four. Turning four. As soon as the second engine starts, the ground crew checks with the cockpit. Hydraulic pressure up. Now the safety pins can be removed from the three landing wheels. Otherwise, they could not be retracted when the plane is in the air. Clear to start two. The same routine is followed for each engine. Clear to start one. are all turning, the cockpit team goes through another checklist routine. Okay, Dick, let's do the before taxi and check. Flux gate. Cage. Hydraulic pressure. Okay. Gear pins. Three pins. After that, he checks by radio with the airport ground control. Idlewild ground control from Eastern Airlines trip 601. Taxing instructions. Eastern 601, clear to taxi, clear to runway 13 right, 13 right, right, the wind south, southeast 10, altimeter 2997. Get the runway, Arthur. 13, 13 right, right? Right. 13 right, okay. Ready to taxi? Brakes off. 
Control having given us permission, we taxi over to the warm-up block. You notice they told us which runway to use and the wind direction. At the warm-up block, we go through the next, or before takeoff check. Ground tab. Set. Flight instruments. Okay. Peripetas. Off. Mixtures. Eleven Good. items are checked this time. The last check before the plane leaves the ground. Ready to check Takeoff clearance. Idlewild well ground control from Eastern 601. Ready for clearance. Roger, Eastern 601 cleared for takeoff. All right, takes off. our climb check. Now it's time for a Chesterfield. Dick. I don't want smoke, Arthur. <laughs> you. Okay, thanks. You get down on the deck, you buy them by the carton, see? Indubitably. What? Uh, yeah. Er, uh, yes, sir. 
<laughs> I thought you wouldn't wrap your tongue around that one twice. Building up his par. Yes, that's it, uh, Don. Continue on. Okay, fine. Um, as a reserve officer, he used his public position to call Joel the Navy into qualifying him as a naval aviator, and he played against uh, the United States Air Force, who later successfully recruited him into the Air Force Reserve. At one time in the 1950s, Godfrey had flown every active aircraft in the military inventory. For nearly 40 years. Why, it's only 50 years since aviation. <laughs> but I didn't begin to fly in earnest until 1929. Gosh, that's almost 25 years ago now, isn't it? But you know, I've done more flying in the last three years than I did in the first 22. Here, let me show you. I have been commissioned in the Naval Reserve since 1939, but because of an old injury to my legs, the Bureau of Medicine and Surgery wouldn't clear me for military airplane flying until 1950. So it was in 1950, in September, that I got my Navy wings at Pensacola, the happiest day of my life. Since that time, I have qualified as a carrier pilot, as a jet pilot, as a helicopter pilot, and here is the coveted Navy green ticket, the highest instrument rating given to Navy pilots. Of course, I'm very proud of all of these military certificates, but here's one here that makes me very, very, very happy. This is the certificate that Captain Eddie Rickenbacker gave me recently, making me an honorary captain in Eastern Airlines. Oh. His, his continued unpaid promotion of Eastern Airlines earned him the un, undying gratitude of a good friend, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker, the World War I flying ace, who was the president of Eastern Airlines. He was such a good friend of the airline that Rickenbacker took a retiring Douglas DC-3, fitted it out with an executive interior and two DC-4 engines, and presented it to Godfrey, who then used it to commute uh, to his studios in New York uh, from his huge Leesburg, Virginia farm every Saturday, every Sunday night. Yes, Don, in January 1954, Godfrey buzzed the control tower of Cheetahboro Airport and his DC-3. His certificate was suspended for six months. Godfrey claimed the windy conditions that day required him to turn immediately after takeoff. But in fact, he was peeved with the tower because they would not give him the runway he requested. 
He later recorded a satirical song about the incident, Teterboro Tower, roughly to the tune of Wabash Cannonball. Mr. Producer, I don't suppose you can find this in your vast archive of musical selections. Teterboro Tower, this is Piper 202. I'm a turning on my downwind lake, my landing's overdue. The stick is a burbling in my hand, I think I feel a stall. And a bug's caught in my petal tube, my gauges don't read at all. Now listen, Piper 202, this is Teterboro Tower. I cannot raise the crash crew, cause it is their coffee hour. You're cleared into the pattern, but don't try. In. Just circle around for sequence while I play my violin. Piper 202. I'm a sweating out this landing, and I don't know what to do. My VHF is on the blink, and your voice is a fading fast. Please clear me on the final, or this flight may be my last. Allison Piper 202, this is your Burrow Tower. I'd like to help you, buddy, but I just don't have the power. FAA's your only hope, so if you've got time to spare, just pile up for me. Burrow Tower, this is Piper 202. Now kindly listen carefully to what I'm telling you. I've got to land here right away, my engine's losing power. If you don't clear me instantly, I'm gonna buzz your tower. occurred while he flew near Chicago in 1956, though no sanctions were imposed. These incidents in the wake of the controversies that swirled around Godfrey after the firing of Julius LaRosa only further underscored the differences between his private and public persona. The original Leesburg Airport, which Godfrey owned, by the way, and referred to affectionately on his show as the old cow pasture, was less than a mile from the center of town, and local residents had come to expect rattling windows and crashing dishes every Sunday evening and Friday afternoon. In 1960, Godfrey proposed building a new airport by selling the old field and donating a portion of the sale to a local group. Since Godfrey funded, Godfrey funded the majority of the airport, it is now known as Lieberg Executive Airport at Godfrey Field. He was also known for flying a North American Ryan Navion, a smaller, single-engine airplane, a Lockheed Jetstar, and in later years a Beach Baron 
and a Beach Duke, registration number N1M. In 1964, he became one of the founding members of the Board of Directors of Executive Jet Aviation Corporation. Emphysema, thought to have been caused by decades of smoking and the radiation treatments for Godfrey's lung cancer earlier, became a problem in the early 1980s. He died of the condition at Mount Sinai Hospital in Manhattan on March 16, 1983, at the age of 79. Godfrey was buried at Union Cemetery in Leesburg, Virginia, not far from his farm. Very good. Thank you so much, um, host, for doing a great job, and hope you enjoyed the sound effects. I love them. uh, Arthur (laughs) Godfrey did a lot for Eastern Airlines as far as promoting it, and I think, Jim Hart, before the show, you said that you had met him, and I think, uh, Don, you've met uh, Godfrey before. Jim Hart? Yeah, a long time ago. Yes, I did as well. In fact, it was in Miami that I happened to meet him on the tarmac. And uh, it, I had a chance to shake his hand and told him how much I enjoyed his radio program. I guess he was more interested in flying than learning uh, about someone who liked his radio. <laughs> Love it. You know, in the uh, video that was made, the movie that we took this from, sound clips, showed uh, Arthur Godfrey in a captain's uniform. And um, he had four stripes, along with Dick Merrill, of course, as his co-pilot. But he also had uh, five stars, or four stars, or five stars, right above the top stripe. Does anyone know what those stars meant? Five years. One star for each five years. Five years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. So, um, yeah, Don, how did you meet Godfrey? I was was just uh, probably about 12 years old, and my dad was in the engineering department uh, uh, at the Kenilworth Hotel in Miami. And I met him uh, there in the lobby. My father introduced me to me. (laughs) Shortly That's after good. that, uh, he used to do his show from there also. <clears throat> okay. He did a show yeah. from the Kenworth uh, several times. He also did a show, a couple of shows from Hawaii. Wow. Yeah. He's yeah, a good friend well of his. Was, too. Uh, yeah. Was Jackie Gleason was a good friend of uh, Godfrey's, and had him on his show several times. Of course, when they were down in Miami. And uh, but an interesting fellow. They used to call him. Does anyone know what his nickname was? Got the redhead. Something. The old redhead. The old redhead. That's right. (laughs) And I think he lost a lot of popularity when he fired fired Julius Rosa. And he did it on air. Yeah, he did it on air. And by the way, if you want to, if you want to see that show, you can go to your browser and just. Uh, browse uh, actual uh, the show uh, Godfrey firing uh, Julius LaRosa. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah 
it's kind of a nasty thing for anybody to do in front of a group of people, never mind on the broadcast. Yeah, yeah. Not a good thing. Do I hear Colleen's voice? No. No, that was me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was Dorothy. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, well, that was our show for tonight, and we uh, have a few things that Dorothy needs to tell us and bring us up to date as to what's happening. Dorothy? Well, we have some new members we're happy to have, and that's Barbara Barrett. She's 69 years old from Albuquerque, and she joined us on August 1st. Barbara says, so happy to have been a part of the best airline in the world because of the wonderful people who work there. I miss it every day. Another gal that joined us was M. Jor. She didn't really fill in her whole name, so that's what we have. But she joined as a member July 30th. She's a female from Alaska, and she has her own family-owned antique and collectible firearms business located in Camp Verde, Arizona, and it's called the Old World Guns LLC. That's in uh, um, on. 567 South Main Street, and also she leaves a telephone number. If anybody be interested, just uh, send me a note to host at EALradioshow.com, and I'd be happy to give you some information. Our next member that joined is Miss Billy Hale, and she joined August 3rd. She also is 83 years old, and she's from Kansas. Uh, we uh, have to uh, uh, remind everybody that anytime they want to join us, all they have to do is go to our website at www.ealradioshow.com. And also, we have a membership of 1,027, and we're just wondering maybe we should have a goal again. This has been fantastic, and we really appreciate it. We also want to thank all of our members who donated to us. It's been really great having some support from our Eastern members and also, of course, from our sponsor, uh, REPA. And without them, believe us, we couldn't continue what we're doing. And uh, our cause is to carry on the legacy of Eastern and with you folks helping us out, we certainly can do it for as long as we're able to do so. Remember that donations of $40 or more will entitle you to receive a copy of Neil's book, Wings of Many Free, with your donation. And we have two of the Eastern models left of the 737 with the stand, and that was donated to us by the anonymous investor of Eastern Airlines Group, and we just want to mention that once those are gone, we really don't have any more to give you, but you still will have the value of Neil's book, The Wings of Many, and that's for a $40 donation. Now, Jim Holder, you want to tell us a little bit about the annual reunion that you're planning in September? Yeah, Dorothy, thank you very much. I'll be glad to. Everybody get the pencil out. It's going to commence on September the 4th, that's 2019, of course, at the Embassy Suites Hotel at the Kennesaw Town Center in Kennesaw, Georgia. 
with registration starting at 12 noon. The hotel is right off I-75, which is about five miles north of 285. And the address is 620 Chastain Road, Kennesaw. The phone number is important, 770-420-2505. And that evening, September the 4th, we will have a private cocktail party. Now, the hotel has one for the guests every evening, but we're going to have our own. And that's going to be followed by a private buffet. The next morning on September the 5th, after the free breakfast provided by the hotel, we will have the required business meeting at 11 a.m. The lady is going to have a luncheon at 11.30 a.m., hosted by our first lady, Patty Steinmetz. And that evening, we will have another private cocktail party, followed by our banquet. Now, we're going to be cutting expenses for this one compared to previous ones. We're calling it a reunion as opposed to a convention. But it's only going to be two nights. We're not going to have any paid guest speakers or musical entertainers at the buffet, in addition to the free breakfasts provided by the hotel. So we were able to reduce the cost of the reunion to $175 per person or $350 per couple. The hotel room, a two-room suite with a king-size bed, will be $123 plus all taxes. But the hotel does have free parking. Uh, at the banquet, we will have drawings for cash store prizes. Your tickets will be included in the registration packet, so everyone will have an even chance of winning. There will be no ticket sales, which pleases me very much because I was stuck with selling tickets for the last 20 years. <laughs> in addition, at the banquet, we will have the usual drawing of a free room night and an auction of donated Eastern items and memorabilia. And we're going to have a bunch of that stuff, so and then hopefully we'll have a good sale, and we probably are going to give a lot of it to uh, Captain Smith. I forgot his name all of a sudden, excuse me. But he has a home for boys up in the mountains, and he's expanding it. Uh, Fish, Captain Fish. Uh, so make the reservations as easy. Call the embassy suites at 770-420-050 and tell them you're with the recent pilots. Now, you got to do that by August 18th to get the rates. We recommend that you do it now. Now, I know that nobody got their pencil. Nobody wrote down all I said. So all you got to do <laughs> to get it and look at pictures, and Ruth Christ is the restaurant, uh, has a restaurant in the hotel, and they'll be providing all our food. And everybody in Atlanta knows Ruth Christie's is about the best place you can go eat. But you go to the Eastern uh, Retired Eastern Pilots website, Go to the reunion tab and download the 2019 registration form and click there, and it'll print it off as a PDF or a document or a JPEG or anything else you want. And then fill it out, mail it in, and we'll see you. We'll see you. It's coming September the 4th. Thank you. Thank thank you, Jim. That is really great to hear. And remember, folks, if you shouldn't remember all that Jim said, and you can't find his address. It's always on our website under REPA. So be sure to uh, do it either on his website or go to ours as long as you go to either one. Now, I just want to give a little update on the Thursday program. We have the uh, old-time music coming on, the old-time radio, and that's going to be Thursday, August 8th. And it's going to be Johnny Mathis, and you're going to hear some Eastern history at that time that music was playing. And the following week will be From the Eastern Files, and that's on August 15th. A few of the upcoming 
programs that we have are next week will be famous people who have died in air disasters and causes, and following with the Remember the Summer of 1969. And then we'll have the following week, Malaysia Flight MH370 Mystery. So be sure to join us. We're always here on Monday at 7 p.m., and we're looking forward to seeing and hearing from you again on our station. Thank you so much. Back to you, Neil. Okay, thank you so much, Dorothy and Jim. Always good to see Renee from Canada. Are you with us tonight? Yes, I finally made it. Okay. Oh, nice to have you, Renee. Good to have you back. Yeah, I have to say that, uh, thank you, I have the uh, 737 airplane. I've got two of them, one with a landing gear down and one with a landing gear up, and they're beautiful, beautiful models. I mean, you should get $100 for them. They're so good. Excellent. Your book is great. I've read it once so far. And I also, okay. at the same time, picking up the airplane, I got the um, uh, the uh, the Wings of Man book came in at the same time. So I, I'm having an Easter weekend. Oh, okay. Very <laughs> well, we, good. Thank you. We thank you for having both donations. That was really great. You not only gave one, but then you ended up giving another one. So thank you for both of those very, very much. Yeah, Neil, this is Jim. Yeah, Jim. Um, Jim I was Hart. so happy to hear Dorothy mentioning our new members. One of the members, Billy Ann Hale from Kansas, and I worked together in Hartford in 1960. I think it was 1959 or 1960. Wow. And then she advanced to Kennedy Airport and was manager of one of the uh, 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 groups that we had uh, that used to uh, um, honor and service passengers before they flew. I think, I I don't remember the name, but Billy, if you're listening, uh, great to hear you're a member now. That's great. Thank you. Those were CSR. Yes. Dorothy, was that uh, you mentioned one of the other new members, which was uh, Barbara Barrett? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was. It was bar, uh, there was another Barbara Barrett that was the first female pilot for Eastern Airlines. That's right. That's one yes, and the same. right. But, uh, she didn't mention uh, what she did, other than that she had that business of hers. So, I, excuse me, I really don't know. Yeah. But I know the one you're talking about. We have her article on the uh, website. Very good. All right. I'm going to let uh, Renee clear Eastern 425 for landing. Renee? <laughs> Eastern 425, you're clear to land. <laughs> Does that work? It's working. Captain and Renee, we look forward to hearing from you again. Yes, Be sure to tune in again next Monday, August 12th, when America's favorite way to fly returns to the cyber waves and the radio show remembers 
some famous people who were killed in aircraft accidents. And this is Jim Hart signing off on behalf of our hosts, Dorothy Gagnon, Don Gagnon, Chuck Albright, Jim Holder, Mike Scott, and Colleen DeFleece. Please sign off music made popular by the champagne music man himself, Lawrence Welk, and a one, and a two, and a three. Good night, Eastern family. Wherever you are, we love you, Eastern. Good night, Eastern. We love you. Good night, Eastern. Good night, everybody. Good night, host. Good night, Eastern. Thanks, all. We love you. Good show, Neil. It was great. Thank Good you. Good you guys you're great thank thank you so much neil it was wonderful i loved it